Hello? Hello. One, two, three. One, two, three. Okay. Sounds good. Is that good? Hello. 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 Oh, hey, Jay. What you doing up there? What you doing here, girl? Just chilling. Hanging out. Hello. Working. You good? A, B, C, D. Okay. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Now I know my ABCs. Won't you sing along with me? Is that good? Are we good? We're not good? Hello, 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 everybody. Oh, hi, Miss Rhonda. Hello, Miss Shirley. Doo, doo, doo. Hello, hello. Guys, here are note packets. Everything that's going to be on the PowerPoint is right here for you. Miss Rhonda. Miss Shirley. Miss Sandy. You realize you're making me have to do homework again, right? That's the point. I'm proud of you. I'm your hand is here. Wait, did I already give you one? No. You don't get one. You're the only one. Oh. What a good student. <laughs> You're welcome. Hello? Can you, are, am I good? Oh, did I stop talking? Sorry. Do, do, do. I'm good? Yes? We, we got one minute. How's everyone's week going so far? Good? Staying busy? What, we got two minutes till we go live? I guess I'll stay on. Hey, Israel was a lot of fun to have in youth group yesterday. We, we had a lot of fun. Uh, he, he and I and Dakota Chavis, we're playing horse, the basketball game, on the tiny little mini hoop. And then we're like, okay, this isn't good enough. So we went to the gym. We, we were just shooting basketball in the gym for, like, I think it was like 30 minutes after youth group got over. We were in the gym shooting basketball. Yeah, sorry if that made y'all late or anything. We, we lost track of time. <laughs> Auntie, let me know when to start. Do you need a, you need a packet? You're good. Yeah, you know, I do have to. You're welcome. I'm gonna send these right here if anyone else needs some more. If they come in, just send them through. We good? Good to go live. Yay! Hello, everybody, once again. Um, Miss Melly, would you pray for us real quick before we get started?
Amen, amen. All right, guys, so I, I'm really excited about tonight because next week we're going to start dealing with the more demonic side of things, and that can be very frightening for people at times because that's the scary stuff, right? And we, we've seen too many American horror movies to the point where we hear about this stuff and start to scare us a little bit. Every time, every time we hear a noise, we're like, hold up, hold up, you know, it's a demon, but that's not reality. So today I am excited to deal with the topic of Jesus, the destroyer of gods, because it's going to reinstate who's actually in authority here, who actually has the power here, and it's not the enemy, just to answer that question. So I'm excited to get into this, and I gave you the note packet. Um, the note packet is literally every slide that's going to be on this PowerPoint is on that packet. So you have all the information right there. All right, let, let's get into it. All right, Jesus did not only come to die for our sins. Now, I'm not minimizing what he did, right? That's incredible. The fact that he died for our sins is insurmountable. But I'm saying he did even more than just what we, than what we hear in the gospel, right? Jesus died for our sins on the cross. Now we're saved and we can go to heaven. Jesus did so much more than that. So I'm saying I'm not minimizing what he did. I'm saying he did even more than what we give him credit for. And to me, that's amazing that Jesus had a whole nother plan in mind more than what our small minds can comprehend. And that's what we're dealing with tonight, okay? And it's extremely exciting. So he did not only come to die for our sins, he came to undo what had been done by the demonic rebellions in the heavens and on the earth, all right? And that's what we dealt with in the first week. And we're going to have a little recap here in these three demonic rebellions. What did that mean for humanity? How did that affect us directly? So we see in Genesis 3, 1 through 5, the original rebellion of Lucifer in the garden, okay, as a serpent with Adam and Eve, he brought mortality and death to humankind, correct? We were in the garden. We were going to live forever with the Lord, right? When we sinned, we were then cast out. And when Jesus, I mean, when God the Father said, you shall surely die, he didn't mean that we're going to die right then, right? He meant now you cannot live with me forever. You will at some point die. You are now a mortal man living in the earth. Right? So through the first rebellion came the mortality and death. Right? We're no longer going to live forever. In the second recorded rebellion in Genesis 6, 1 through 6, we see that when the angels came down, right? The angels came down and had sex with women and created the Nephilim, correct? We see that the humankind became more and more deprived and evil. Verses 5 and 6, says, God says, he looks upon the earth, he says, wow, these people are so evil, I wish that I never even created them. And if you see that, verses 1 through 4 flow into 5 and 6. They're not separated. So we, through, we see through the second rebellion what those angels did when they came down and did these horrible things with women. Obviously, that sin nature that came with them as well spread into humans and made us even worse than we already were. Right? We were already sinful because we fell. But through their rebellion, we became even worse and worse and worse, right? So we became more deprived and more evil. And then we have the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, which we talked about, which spans from Genesis 10 through 11. This is the third recorded rebellion, which caused humanity to be stuck, okay? Stuck in sin, evil, death, and slavery, because humanity was and is ruled by rebellious demonic entities over territories and regions, Okay? So we saw that in, in this section in Scripture, in Deuteronomy 32 and Genesis 10 through 11, it shows that God divorced all of humanity, right? And he chose in the literally next chapter in Genesis 12, he chose Abraham to be his new people, right? Israel to be his people. He said, these people are so evil. Remember the Tower of Babel? 
right? He confuses their language. And he's like, I can't do it with these people anymore. They're evil. I caused the flood, right? And all these people died. And they, even with a restart, they're, they're worse than they were before, right? So he divorces humanity and he gets, he gets one people, one chosen people, right? And so that's where we are. And that caused humanity, right? Now that humanity is ruled by these demonic entities, they're stuck. There's no freedom, right? They're evil rulers, which cause more evil. So humanity is stuck. So not only now are we mortal and we can die, not only are we evil and deprived, but now we're stuck in that state, right? We're stuck in it. We're not ruled by the good God. We are ruled by evil entities who want to keep us where we are. All right? Jesus did not just undo the work of the enemies. He destroyed them. All right, and y'all, this isn't going to be a long time, but we're about to get into a lot of scripture. All right, so the original rebellion was undone on the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus. We are no longer slaves to death, but we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at some scripture. John 10, 28. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. I think that's beautiful. Who else thinks that's beautiful? We can't be snatched out of his hand. We have eternal life, and we are his, right? No, nothing's taking that from us. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 53-56. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption... And this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Amen? Right? We are no longer stuck in that state of death. We are now given the promise of eternal life. So when Jesus died on that cross and rose again, the first rebellion that directly affected us is now undone. And we're no longer stuck in mortality and death with no place to go. We are now given eternal life. Amen? Through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Humanity is only free through Jesus Christ. Okay? Non-believers are ruled by the powers of this current age. Do we understand that? If you are not a believer, you are still stuck in the rebellious stages of what happened. You are still stuck in that. You will still die. You are still mortal. And we know what happens to souls who are not saved. Correct? We are still deprived and evil. Look at our world. Amen? And you are still ruled by those entities who rule territories and regions. You're still in that state. And let's look at some passages that back this up, right? Because what better than the Bible to confirm what we believe? Colossians 3, 5 through 7. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, Passion, all right, these are evil passions, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of what? Disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you believed in them. Who are the sons of disobedience? People who are living outside the will of God, who are not believers, right? And they're being ruled by these powers. And then 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who's the God of this age? Satan, right? He, he's, he's the macho man. There are others who are evil demonic entities, but he's the macho man, right? He's the leader of them, right? And they are ruled by this present age. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. 
who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them, right? Their minds are clouded. They can't even see, the, right? Have any of you shared the gospel with somebody and they didn't want anything to do with it? They didn't want you to finish what you were saying? Why? It's because their minds are being ruled by the God of this age. Their eyes are blinded. Their minds are blinded. They can't even see what's happening. But we see that the second recorded rebellion in Genesis 6, 1 through 6, is undone by the life and death of Jesus. We are no longer completely deprived and evil, right? Because Jesus lived the perfect life in the form of man, so that we now have the power over sin and evil, right? It's because of the life of Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect, sinless life to overcome sin and evil. It was through his life and through his perfect death upon the cross that was pure and perfect and innocent. Right now, we are no longer stuck in that state. So, so let's, let's read some more scripture, shall we? 1 John 2, 1 through 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Y'all, he paid the price. We are no longer stuck as deprived evil people because he paid the price. We no longer have to live that way, right? And that's why we talk about on Sundays that if you are saved, you can't continue in the same lifestyle. That's why Jesus died. That is one of the main reasons he died, so you could be free from that. Because every human was stuck in that, right, before the sacrifice of Jesus, where he's the one who paid the price, who made the way to undo what had been done. First John here we go, 1 John 3, 4 through 10. This one's longer, but this is such an amazing passage, okay? Listen up. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Who's he? Jesus. He was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. And what does it say? We are in Christ Jesus. Amen? We have the power over what? Sin. That's why when pastors preach holiness, which some of them don't do a very good job because they don't explain what holiness is, right? Holiness is not being completely sinless. It's having power over sin and you become less and less sinful, right? So we are called to something higher through the sacrifice of Jesus. Verse 6, and whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For the, this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Right? He did not come to just undo. He came to destroy. And I think sometimes we as Christians forget that we have the authority through Jesus Christ. We no longer have to live a meaningless life that just leads to death. We no longer have to sin just because our flesh tells us to. Amen? We no longer have to stay in bondage to these things that hold us back. Because why? Jesus has the authority. And he didn't just come to undo for a little while what the enemy did. He came to completely destroy the works of the enemy. Why do we know this? Because Scripture tells us it, that he did. Amen? Scripture tells us, not some pastor, not some person, but Scripture tells us that's exactly what he came to do. Verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin 
because he has been born of God. And this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So what's our criteria for knowing if someone's of God? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Pretty clear. Nor is he who does not love his brother. Wow, sounds like we just talked about last Sunday about some type of fellowship, you know, where you're supposed to love each other and things like that. And scripture tells us if you don't love your brother or your sister, you're not of God. That, that's a hard truth we really have to deal with, right? Because the enemy wants nothing more than, the, than to cause division and for us to hate one another. But Jesus came to destroy that so that we could truly love one another. Dang, that's good. Amen. I love that. God is good. That is good. Wow. The fact that he loves us enough, not, not like, like I said, I'm not minimizing what he did, but he didn't just come to die on the cross. He came to undo everything, to destroy it. Not just for a little while, forever. Wow, that's good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Christians are free through Jesus Christ if, hear me out, if we truly identify with his life and his death. Right? That's what baptism shows. Correct? When we are baptized, it's symbolism from going into the grave and rising out just as Jesus did. Why? Because we've died to sin and now we are alive to Christ. So if, if, we, if, if we identify, not just with his life because of what he did for us, but if we identify in the suffering of Jesus Christ and we suffer for Jesus Christ, we are free. But I'm going to tell you something that's not very popular. People who claim to be Christians can be oppressed by demons. Not possessed. Not possessed because the devil cannot possess anything that God owns. Amen. But you can't be oppressed by demons if you are not living in the freedom of Jesus Christ. Because we got a lot of Christians who want to identify with the life of Jesus because of what Jesus did, but they don't want to identify with the suffering of what Jesus went through. It's got to be both. We can't pick and choose parts of Jesus that we want to identify with. It's all-encompassing of everything. By the way, it's awesome to see so many of y'all out here tonight. That is very encouraging. Thank you guys for being here with us. That's awesome. Sorry, I just got off track seeing all your happy faces. And you're smiling tonight. So, amen. Praise the Lord. I don't feel nervous anymore. <laughs> oh, Sorry. Anyways. But the third recorded rebellion, all right, is undone by the blood of Jesus. We are no longer divorced from God, right? Because who was divorced from God? Everyone who was not a Jew. Are any of you, you full-blood Jewish? Any of you? No, exactly. We were all divorced, all right, in this account. We were all divorced from God. God said, no, these people are so evil. And what, what, what did we read on Sunday? That God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So how could he associate him with, himself with the people of darkness? He couldn't, right? So through the act of Jesus on the cross, we are welcomed into family. Amen. I don't know how many of y'all are excited about that, but the fact that Jesus made the way for us to enter into the fold is incredible, right? His heart were for all people. Jesus reclaimed humanity from the territorial demonic entities and made all spirits subject to his power and his authority. Y'all, Jesus is bad to the bone. We taught, we taught last week that he wasn't just some meek, mild person who had never walked on the earth before. He was the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. 
He was the mighty warrior, the commander of the angel armies. He's bad to the bone, y'all. He does not play. So when we don't see Jesus through all the scripture, we just imagine he was like Gandhi, you know, some pacifist who just sat in the streets and never did anything. No, y'all, Jesus was bad to the bone. So whenever he came back to his glorified state, what do y'all think he went right back to doing? Being the mighty warrior who was the commander of the angel armies. Amen? He didn't, he didn't just stop. He took that role back as soon as he was put in his glorified body. And we talked about last week, that's why Jesus said, you know, my disciples are telling me to do this, but do y'all not know at any moment I could call down 12 legions of angels right now at this moment to fight for me? Why? Because he's the commander of the angel armies, right? So he, he put all spirits subject to his power and his authority. Let's read some scripture to back this up. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 8. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. When he's saying rulers, he didn't just mean men. All right, he's talking about the spiritual rulers of this world, okay? Which none of the rulers of this age knew. Why does he say age? Because they're not going to rule forever. These demonic entities will not be rulers forever. He says specifically this age, this period of time, this era in history. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why? Because if the enemy knew what was going to happen when Jesus died on the cross, they would have never touched him. They would have let him live his entire life without laying. He could have done anything he wanted and never been touched by anybody if the enemy knew what he was going to do when he died on that cross. Descended, took the keys to death in the grave, and ascended to heaven. Amen? They would have never touched him. Why? Because the moment he descended, he whooped everyone's tails and asserted his power and authority over all spirits. So those spirits who ruled freely now only rule because he lets them rule. He allows it. They can't do anything. Listen to this. This is going to mess them y'all up. The enemy can't do anything unless God allows it. They can't. That's why you see Satan constantly going to God asking for people. I don't know if y'all know this, but in Luke 22, 31, I believe, Jesus says that this is the account of uh, Peter denying Jesus three times. And he says, Simon, Simon, only if you knew, but Lucifer was asking for you. Who, who was Lucifer asking for Peter? God, just like he asked for Job. He can't do anything unless God allows it. And some of us got to realize that the enemy has no authority. He can't, he can't even touch you if God says he can't. All the authority belongs to the Lord. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. What does that mean? We're welcomed into the family. He always wanted us in the family, and he had always planned for us to be in the family. So what happened when we were divorced, God already had a plan before that ever happened to correct what had been done. So what does that tell us about Jesus? Everything Jesus did when he was on the earth was for a purpose. Every day he lived, he was undoing something that the enemy had done. Every single day. In fact, sometimes we see Jesus as this roaming prophet. We see him as this man who was just at, at the free will of whatever. No, y'all, he was on a mission. And everything he did was checking off the boxes to complete his mission. Amen? 
All right, and last passage for this right here. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, listen, this is the, this is the verbiage that we deal with in the armor of God. Far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Like sometimes we as Christians live in defeat when in reality we already have the authority in Jesus. Everything is subject under Jesus. Everything. Do we understand that? Jesus rules, right? God had ordained this before the foundations of the earth for Jesus to be the sovereign king of the world. And guess what? That's what he is right now. And if we aren't living that way, when we are missing the whole point of the victorious Christian life. We're missing the whole point. We don't have to struggle with the same things we used to struggle with. Why? Because he died for us to have power over sin. Not in our own selves, but through the Holy Spirit living in us and working through us and sanctifying us day by day. That was because of what Jesus did. Jesus allows demonic entities to rule on the earth in this present age. This age. What does that mean? That means an era of time. But the age to come, he will completely conquer and destroy all opposition to the kingdom of God. On the earth and in the heavens. Nothing will escape him. Everything that is against God will be put into submission under his feet. Everything. Nothing. Nothing will escape him. The world will be made, will be made perfect again. Well, let, let's look at some scripture of this. Isaiah 24, 21 through 23. It shall come to pass in that day, talking about in the future, that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones. Who's that? The, the demonic entities who are ruling. Okay? That the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones, and on the earth the kings of the earth. What does that say? On the heavens and in the earth, Jesus is going to show his authority and his power. They will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit, and will be shut up in the prison. After many days they will be punished then the moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. Everything that is in opposition to God on the earth and in the heavens will then be put under, under his rule subject to him. Do we see that? Every power in the heavens that is against God and every power in the earth that is against God will be brought to submission. And you know what's crazy about this? We, we, we like to separate the physical and the spiritual, but where does it say they both go? They both go to the pit. The powers on the earth and the powers in the heaven all go to the same place. Why? Because the physical and the spiritual run hand in hand. We're not as separated as we think. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not here. Hence the series, The Unseen Realm, right? It's the things we cannot see. Isaiah 34, 1 through 4. Come near, you nations. This whole, y'all, this, this section is actually the judgment of the nations. Come near, you nations, to hear and heed, you people. Let the earth hear and all that is in it. The world and all things that come forth from it. For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations, and his fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed, he has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Also their slain shall be thrown out, and their stench shall rise from their corpses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. All the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. And their host shall fall down as a leaf falls from the vine, 
and as fruit falling from fig tree. What is that showing? The power of God that nothing can stand. All y'all, did, did y'all see how he said the nations? But then there's a double reference to the spiritual realm in that. Did y'all see that how he talked about? He talked about the nations and then the host. Because who's ruling the nations? The divine beings that have fallen and are the divine demonic beings. That's who ruling the nations. That's why God says, listen, you nations, and then listen, you host. Why? Because there are things actually in power that we cannot see. And they are working. And so what is, what is the Lord saying? You will pay for what you have done. And you will come to judgment for the things you have done to the people of the earth. Are humans evil? Yes. Why are we totally deprived? Because, y'all, we have some evil demonic beings who are currently playing Mr. Puppeteer and causing these spirits in the earth to run so rampant. So are, are humans evil? Yes. Well, we can't, y'all, we can't take that much credit for how bad we are. There are demonic beings teaching us these things. Have, have you ever thought about how, how we found out how to do witchcraft and all these things? Y'all, that's got to come from somewhere. You ever heard of black magic? We, we as humans didn't just think to ourselves, hmm, I wonder if I can summon a demon. No, demons came and taught people how to do these things. It's got to come from somewhere, right? So God is saying in the, at the end of the age, I will judge the nations on the earth and those who rule the nations in the heavens. And both will be made subject under me. Right? Why? Because he has the authority. Jesus has the authority. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end. What is the end? The end of time. When he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, when he puts an end to all rule, all authority, and all power. What is that? That's reinstating that at the end of the age, Jesus is going to tear everybody up. He's going to destroy everything that had been done, and he's restoring perfect order in the universe. And, y'all, I love Revelation chapter 22 when it talks about the new heavens and the new earth and new Jerusalem because the earth we see now is going to be wiped. And it's going to be made perfect. And while the Garden of Eden was one little spot of the earth, now the entire earth is going to be made perfect as, garden, as the Garden of Eden was. And so Jesus, at the end of the age, when he comes, he's going to destroy all evil, all sin, everything that could cause humanity to fall, and he's restoring it to perfect order. Amen? Because he is the commander. He's the ruler. Verse 25, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is, is accepted. So he's excluded from this. Now, when all things are made subject to him, the son himself will also be made subject to the father who put all things under him and God may be all in all. Y'all, and the beautiful thing about the book of Revelation is there, the sun won't even exist anymore. Did y'all know that? In Revelation, it says the sun won't exist anymore. Why? Because the glory of God is going to radiate the entire earth. And the whole earth will be full of his glory. Have y'all heard that passage before? That's literal. The sun won't even exist. It'll be the glory of God upon the earth that illuminates the whole world. Perfect order restored. God, that's beautiful. Amen. I, I want to read this next passage, but it's really long. I'll talk about it. How about that? Revelation 19. 
right? The battle when Satan is thrown in the pit for a thousand years. Y'all, do y'all know what Jesus does when he comes down and the armies are gathered to fight against him? He opens his mouth and he speaks. What does that say about Jesus? He doesn't have to lift a finger. He is so powerful that all the armies of the world, demonically inspired and demonically empowered, can't even cause Jesus to raise a finger. He doesn't have to fight. He just says, get behind me, get under my feet, and they do it. Amen? Jesus is so powerful, has such authority, that the demonic beings, have have you guys read the Gospels? What happens when Jesus speaks to a demon? No, Lord, don't. No, Lord, don't. And what happens when he tells them to be quiet? They don't talk. They have no authority against Jesus Christ. When we identify with the life and the death of Jesus, it is no longer us who lives, but Jesus who lives in us. What does that mean for us as believers? We have the authority. And if Jesus cared about casting out demons, if Jesus cared about freeing the oppressed, we should care about casting out demons. We should care about freeing the oppressed. Now, that's going to scare some people because the Lord's been dealing with me. And in this church, I genuinely believe we're, we're going to start casting out demons. And that's going to be horrifying for some people. But once they see that person made new, it's all going to make sense. And, if, and just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean we can exclude it from our life. But if Jesus cared about it, we should care about it. Why? Because it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And if we genuinely believe that, then we should follow the whole life of Jesus, not just the one, the parts of it that are comfortable. All right, Jesus did his part and is doing his part, right? He did his part in the fact that he he undid everything that was done, correct? And he's going to do his part in the fact that in the end of the age, he's going to put all powers subject under his feet. But now it's our part. It's our time to do our part. Jesus has set us free, so be free. And and I have Christian brothers and sisters who keep falling into the same sin and living in it. I'm not just saying sinning. We're never going to be perfect on this earth. But they fall into sin and they stay in it for so long. But Jesus set you free. Be free. He gave you the power to overcome that sin through his blood. He made it possible for a new humanity on the earth. Do you, know what, do you know what Jesus is called in Romans 5? The new Adam. What does that mean? What does Adam mean? It means man. Jesus was the new man, the new form of humanity. So everything he did, living the perfect life, dying the perfect death, he made a way for there to be a new humanity on the earth. That is why scripture, 1 Peter tells us to be holy as our father is holy. Because it's not impossible to live a holy life on a corrupted earth. Jesus did it. Why? To show that it is possible, but to also make a way through the Holy Spirit that we now could live this new life upon the earth. To be a new people, different on the earth. Y'all, he tried it with the Israelites and they failed him over and over and over. So not only did he give them great mentally, he literally gave us his Holy Spirit to indwell our bodies, to give us power to live this new life on the earth. So what Jesus did gave a way for the new humanity. While spiritual warfare is real, and we must be aware, that's why we're doing the series, and understand how to engage in combat in the spiritual realm, we must also remember that our flesh is usually what causes us to fail. 
So while Jesus has authority over all the spiritual realm, over any demonic entity, where all we have to do is plead the blood of Jesus over those things and he will work it out, we simply have to seek him upon it. It is up to us to deal with the flesh. The Holy Spirit's working in us, correct? But we have to do our part to deal with the flesh. Last night we talked about self-control, the fruit of the Spirit in the youth group. That's not just for youth group to hear about. We as mature Christians have to practice the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Because we now have to do our part. This is my opinion. More than likely, 75% of the time you fail, a.k.a. sin, is because you did not keep your flesh under check. Not every defeat is, is from a spiritual attack. A lot of the times when we sin, it's because we let our own guard down. And it's easy to do. Because life is hard, and we get tired, and discouraged, and frustrated, and mad, and angry, and sad, and all these things. But the majority of the time, the reason we sin is because we gave into our flesh. Not because the enemy was so oppressive on our spirits, but it's because we let our guard down and we set, priority, we set things in a priority above God. And so therefore, we did not keep our flesh in check. Just like the Holy Spirit is keeping our spirits and our souls in check, we have to keep this in check. Amen? So while Jesus did his part and is doing his part, we have to do our part. While Jesus has the authority, he has given us authority. If we don't use our authority, we're wasting an investment from God. And we will have to answer. You guys ever heard of the the, uh, white throne judgment of God in Revelation 21, I believe? When when he speaks to every person who's ever lived, every soul who's ever been on the earth, he's going to talk to you about how you lived your life. And he's going to look at you and he says, my son conquered the world, had the ultimate authority. And gave you a piece of that. And you never did anything with it. We have to answer for that. We have to do our part. Jesus has conquered the spiritual realm. And we must allow the Holy Spirit working in us to conquer our flesh. And this this, this is just a little tab here. The enemy will use your flesh against you and leave you thinking the only reason you are failing is because you are being attacked by spiritual entities. He's going to trick you. He's, he's going to be messing with your flesh, giving you temptations that everyone struggles with different things, correct? He's going to be sending temptations your way that deal directly to your flesh, and he's going to trick you. You're going to, oh, I'm being, I'm being attacked. Oh, the spiritual warfare is so heavy on me. But in reality, you're just not taking care of your flesh. And so he's going to have you so distracted by this concept of spiritual warfare that you never correct the, the, the easy, applicable things in your life to get past you failing because of your flesh. He plays mind tricks. We talked about how cunning he is, right? How he disguised himself to trick Adam and Eve into sinning and falling and literally setting us on the path we are on today. He's cunning. He plays and manipulates our minds. When in reality, they are not doing anything but tempting your flesh that is weak because you have not trained it to withstand the enemy. Amen? Because a lot of times in Christianity, we like to talk about these lofty concepts, but we never apply them directly to our lives. So therefore, we are left susceptible to just temptation. That befalls every human. You realize every human has some type of temptation. We never get beyond the point of having some type of temptation. Anything, anything you struggle with. So if we do not deal directly with that, we're going to be thinking it's spiritual warfare, when in reality, we just got to do our part. The devil has no authority over a fully committed believer. Do we understand that? When you are fully committed and identified with the life and death of Jesus, the enemy has no authority. None. This is why we have to get our flesh under control. 
Because the enemy can attack our spirit all the day long. But if we are fully surrendered to Christ, we have the authority over that where we can rebuke that. But if we don't have our flesh in check, we're going to continue to sin. Because that's our part. Right? We have to allow the Holy Spirit through personal discipline and self-control through the Holy Spirit working in us to free us from anything. However, if you do not train your flesh to withstand temptation, he will manipulate your flesh to do things your spirit wants no part of. Do we understand that? Why, why Paul wrote, I do things I don't want to do. Like my spirit doesn't want any part of this, but my flesh is sinning. Y'all, Paul said that. The greatest missionary in, in our record books that, that, that literally traveled the entire known world at that time, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, he said, I do things I don't want to do. And what does he say? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So while Jesus and the Holy Spirit are doing their part, because the spirit is willing, we have to do our part because the flesh is weak. So while we have authority over all things, we have to make sure we are asserting authority in our own personal lives as well with our flesh. We are what? Pentecostal holiness church. Holiness. We are called to be set apart. Be holy as your father is holy. Here, let, let, let's read a couple more scriptures to, to go along with this thought process. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Amen. You're, you're, what, what does Ecclesiastes tell us? There's nothing new under the sun. What you're experiencing now, billions of people have experienced throughout history. You're not the only one that's common. But God is faithful, who would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able. What does that tell us? You don't have to give in to temptation. God, do, do we see that? Who will not allow. Do we understand that? God is allowing them to tempt you. What? Yes. God, why to test your faith? To build your faith, to build your endurance and your, and your perseverance. Is that all? Is that, do you want to read it again? That's literally what scripture says. Here we go. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Amen? Do we agree God is faithful? Listen. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation, but the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear. What does scripture tell us? God, God doesn't tempt you. So who's tempting you? The enemy. But what does it say? God won't allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. So God is allowing the enemy to tempt us. Why? Because he wants us to be stronger. He wants you to be tempted. Did y'all know that? God wants you to be tempted. Because every time we overcome a temptation, we become stronger. And, we, and it, we, it becomes easier to overcome the temptation to the point where when we are serving diligently in ministry and the enemy is tempting us, we don't even think about it. So we are able to serve the Lord better. I bet some of y'all never even thought about the fact that God allows you to be tempted and that he wants you to be tempted. You, you, do, you do realize that he, he put together that whole temptation in the wilderness for Jesus. Why? Because the Holy Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness and who was waiting for him in the wilderness? Satan was waiting for him in the wilderness. How does Satan know where Jesus was going if he's not omnipotent? God set up that rendezvous for Jesus to show, to prove that he's the perfect man who can overcome temptation, but also so he would understand our temptations. And so he could be sympathetic with his children when we sin because he was tempted. Do y'all hear that? Jesus was tempted. What does that mean? Not, not Jesus heard his words and ignored them. Jesus was tempted. 
He knows what it's like to have that fleshly nature pulling at you to do what you're not supposed to do. That's why we have the advocate, Jesus Christ, with the Father who can sympathize with us, who understands what it is to be a human. Amen? So while God is allowing you to be tempted, he's also providing the way of escape through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to make you stronger and more powerful than you were before. So through our temptation, we become stronger. It's the testing of our faith that proves our faith. I love this quote. Faith isn't faith until it's tested. All the day long, you can say you believe something, but do you truly believe it when it's tested right in front of your face and you have to go through a situation that tests everything you believe? Faith is not faith until it's tested. And where did that come from? God. (laughs) No, No man just comes up with these things, right? God implants that wisdom in man to understand the things of the world. Well, that's good. That, that, that's hard to deal with, though, to know that when you're tempting, God wants that to happen. But that should also urge you on because you know there's a way of escape through it. So no matter how, how bad it is in that moment, you know that he's already provided a way for you to break through and to overcome that, to become a stronger believer. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We have to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because when we're following the Holy Spirit, it's it's so much easier to ignore the things of the world when you're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Because you are thinking of things in different dimensions than your mind could handle if you were just thinking from a a human perspective. Amen? The Holy Spirit is going to lead us into the way of righteousness that our flesh would never lead us in that same direction. James 1, 2, sorry, James 1, 12 through 15. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. What happens when you endure temptation? You're blessed. You're blessed. And God sees that. And he loves that. And he's cheering you on. And so are the angels and all the beings in heaven. They cheer you on when you succeed. Don't don't think they don't care. Amen? The the God of angel armies is fighting on your behalf. If he's going to send armies on your behalf, I think he's going to cheer for you when you do something good. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Why? Because God doesn't tempt you. But he allows you to be tempted. So what does that mean? The enemy has to ask for permission before he can even mess with your mind. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do we see that? Do do, do we see how there are Christians who do fall away from the faith? Because if you don't deal with your flesh, your flesh is going to lead you down a path away from God. Why? Because God is pure light, and your flesh is darkness. Like, like, like me and Pastor Charlie have been saying, you're never going to be perfect. This is not a church that expects you to be perfect. But we do have to do our best to be in step with the Holy Spirit going forward. Walking in authority in the spiritual and the physical. Because why? He has authority in the spiritual and the physical. And all things have been made subject under his feet. And that is our God. That is our Lord and Savior who does that. You have the authority in the name of Jesus because Jesus has the authority overall. And this, this is where we're ending it tonight. Ready? Psalm 2, 7 through 9. I will declare the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Okay, this is about Jesus. Okay, this is a messianic psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. What does that tell us? It's all Jesus. It all belongs to Jesus. Before the foundations of the world, God said, you're my son. Obviously, they know this, right? And he's saying, what does he say to him? I will give you the nations for your inheritance. What does that mean? That means we're free. And so while, while we may live in a region that has this demonic entity ruling the other people, we belong to God. And the nations are whose inheritance? Jesus. That's his inheritance because his name is higher than every other name. That is his inheritance is the nations. What is that? The whole earth. And the ends of the earth for your possession. So the farthest reaches of the world belong to him. It's all in his hand. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. What does that tell us? Any power, any authority, he, will, he can destroy it. What does it say? Like a potter's vessel. Have any of you ever dropped pottery and it just explodes? That, that, that's, how, that's how powerful Jesus is. That he, he could push over the powers and the authorities on the earth and in the heavens and they disintegrate. They explode. I think that's a pretty amazing way to show the power. Literally, let, let's read it again. You shall break them with a rod of iron, giant rod staff. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. It doesn't just say you will break them. It says you will dash them to pieces. Nothing they build will stand. That's the Jesus we serve. We don't serve this little Roman Catholic, cute little white Jesus. Y'all, Jesus was not white. Jesus was brown Middle Eastern. He was not some little white man with strawberry blonde hair who walked around like this all the time. No, that's not the Jesus we serve. We serve the mighty warrior Jesus, the commander of angel armies Jesus, the Jesus that at any moment he wanted to could break all the nations in the powers in the heavens and the powers of the earth and shatter them like little human vessels. That's the Jesus we serve. Amen? I don't know about you guys, but I love this because that just gives me so much encouragement, especially for this church. And to see all of you here, because when that gets in the body of a church, when that gets in the spirit of a church, that we have the authority, we are able to break through these bondages and these strongholds built in our community. So that means when this is in our spirit and we go out to the neighborhoods, which we will in a couple weeks, when we go out to this neighborhood, we have the authority just to speak to someone and break the bondage in their lives. And we say we want to be a church that's different. Let's be different. Let's actually believe in who Jesus is. And, and let's not just stop at the story of Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Let's talk about the full story of what Jesus did. You do realize what I told you today is the full gospel. We, we, we tend to preach the gospel in part in America. We say Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Amen. But Jesus didn't just, I tell you, I'm not minimizing what he did. But it's so much more than what we talk about. What I told you tonight, that's the story of redemption. That everything, the enemies, not just Satan, these are other enemies as well, right? Anything that's in opposition to God. What they did to destroy the human race, Jesus did to perfect the human race for the life to come. Why? Because he loves us. And if Jesus loves humanity, we should love humanity. No matter how nasty, no matter how dirty, no matter how deprived or evil. And why, why are these people deprived and evil? Because they are demonic spirits telling them and ruling them. Guiding them in these ways of evil and depravity. So if we are free and God has called us to fight, who should we be fighting for? Those people. We should be the ones fighting the demonic entities who are ruling regions and territories. 
We should be so discerning in the spirit that we can tell what spirits are ruling over what areas. Why? Because we're not just physical beings, we're spiritual beings. And I think if, if the 20 people or so who are in here can get that in our spirit, that the Holy Spirit is more than just someone who helps us have a fun, good life, a happy life, but he's someone who gives us authority and power to fight against the kingdom of darkness, well, then we will fight. That's why we're dealing with this. Because we were not just called to live mere meager lives upon the earth. We were called to live victorious lives full of authority and power upon this earth. To bring powers under subjection to Jesus. Why? Because we serve him. Amen? Right? When, when scripture says all powers will be brought under his feet. Does it say only he will be doing that? No. He has given us the authority as his soldiers on the earth to bring these things under his feet. To say, God, look what I tore down for you. Jesus, look how I used your authority to break down the stronghold in my community to where the prostitution and the drugs don't even exist like they used to because we fought that spirit away through praise and worship and prayer. Y'all, being, being a prayer warrior is more than just praying for your family and friends. Being a prayer warrior means you are battling in the spiritual realm against things that you cannot see and touch with your physical hands. Amen? And next week when we actually talk about the, the, these different powers and hierarchies in the demonic realm, I'm going to tell you all a story about demons I've seen and how they, they, they will manifest themselves to you if you are fighting that. And I'm going to be serious with y'all. It's uncomfortable and it's terrifying when you first see these entities because they, y'all, they can show themselves however scary they want to be. They're spirit beings. They can take the form however they want. But we have the authority. Amen? We, human beings, have been given the authority over the spiritual realm. That's the God we serve. Brother Charlie, will you pray for us before we head out?